Uh, I want to invite you for the next few moments to open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, today is a, a special day for us, but it's not about us. Come on, let's get into the Word of God today, man. Amen. I, and I just want to say to you, there's nothing that you could do to bless me more than to open your heart and to receive the word of the Lord. I, I am always and forever humbled by the fact that God would speak his unchanging, timeless, authoritative word through men, especially the one I know the best. But he does. He's faithful. And I, I want to share with you today, one verse really uh, is the key text today. It's 1 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 12. But let me give you a little context before we read it. And I, I want to just tell you what's happening in this moment. Uh, Israel is returning to the Lord. Always a good thing when God's people are coming back to God. They're returning to the Lord. Uh, they, they're they're calling out to the prophet Samuel, the priest Samuel, and saying, would, would, you, would you lead us back? And Samuel says, if you want to return to the Lord, you've also got to turn from sin. How many of you know repent isn't just to turn to God, it's to turn from sin? There's a lot of people that forget that second half. It's a really important part of repentance. It's turning away from sin. And he said, you got to get rid of your idols. You got to get rid of the, 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 the false gods that you're worshiping. If you're going to turn to God, you got to really turn to God. And they did. They called out to God in worship. They all congregated together. They had a sacred assembly on this uh, hill that day. And when they did, their enemy, the Philistines, found out that they were all congregated at one place. And so they decided today's a, a, a fitting day for an attack. So the Philistines come against the Israelites in this moment of worship and the, the Israelites realize it and they're afraid and they call out to God and they call out to Samuel and they say, Samuel, would you call out to God for us? And he does. In that moment, the Bible says Samuel laid a, a, a suckling lamb on the altar and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord right there. As the enemy is getting closer, Samuel is making an offering on the altar to the Lord. And the Bible says something supernatural happens right then. All of a sudden, a storm begins to just come across the horizon. So violent, the lightning's flashing, the thunder is clapping, that it sends the Philistines into chaos. And in the moment of chaos, the Israelites attack and they slaughter their enemy that day. So all of this unfolds in the first 11 verses. And then we get to verse 12. Look at it with me. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin. And he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Could you all say that last part with me? Thus far, the Lord has helped us. That's what the word Ebenezer means. It means stone of help. And, and let me just tell you, this is more than a milestone. This is a memorial stone. It's an acknowledgement that everything we've done, everything we've gotten to, this is not just a, a location we've gotten to, but it's a recognition that we got here by the grace of God that we got here by God's goodness. Another way we could say it this morning is simply this, so far, so God. Some people would say, so far, so good, but the child of God recognizes that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so we have to recognize today, it's not so far, so good, it's so far, so God. So God. 
And that's what Samuel does in this pivotal moment before the nation of Israel. I couldn't help but go back to this text as I was thinking about this weekend and the significance that it has to my family. Being 10 years uh, leading this church and seeing all that God has done and the, the, the incredible uh, people that we've met and become faith family members with in these last 10 years. I have to say, so far, so God. Memorials are important. That, that's why we're all familiar with the phrase, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Right? Because the t-shirt's the memorial, right? You go, you have this incredible vacation. What do you do? You buy the shirt in the gift shop. And can I tell you, we fill our laundry baskets weekly with memorials. From all the youth camps, youth convention, outreaches, egg fest, VBS, word of the year. Like we got all these memorial stones. They're those keepsakes that we've been there. We've done that. We bought the t-shirt and, and Samuel sets up this stone and he says, look what the Lord has done. In fact, every time you see this stone, you're going to remember so far, so God. So it feels appropriate that we would take a deeper look at this stone together this morning. And there's three things I want to tell you about it. And, and I promise if you'll listen fast, I'll preach fast. Three things about this stone that are significant. It's place, it's purpose, and it's proclamation. Let me talk about the place of this stone for just a few moments. The name Ebenezer was not new. It's not like Samuel put the stone there and he said, we're going to call it Ebenezer. And they were like, Ebba What? Ebenezer. No, no, no. They knew Ebenezer. In fact, if you go back into the history of Israel, just a few pages in chapter four of 1 Samuel, verse one says this, Samuel's word came to all Israel and now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites were camped at Ebenezer. So this is maybe 20 years earlier. In chapter 4, they're in the same exact location. And on that day, they were defeated by the Philistines. Israel is now, in chapter 7, gathered in the same exact place where they had been defeated by the enemy. Not only were they defeated by the enemy in chapter 4, but the Ark of the Covenant was taken from them. The ark that represents God's presence and God's favor and God's blessing on Israel, it was stolen from them that day. What had happened was they, they fought the Philistines and 4,000 of their soldiers died. And they came to the conclusion that we lost because we didn't take the ark with us. So they just went and grabbed the, the box. They grabbed the ark of God's presence and they fought again. This time, they didn't lose 4,000, they lost 30,000. Their, enemy, their, their, their army was decimated and the Ark of the Covenant was taken from them. That, that's Ebenezer. So imagine the, the, the feelings and the emotions that are just beneath the surface when in this moment of worship in chapter 7, Samuel declares this place out loud, Ebenezer. I mean, they might have been standing on a hill that was littered with the shallow graves of 34,000 soldiers, their, their fathers, their uncles, their older brothers. And Samuel says, Ebenezer, I wonder if you're here today and you can remember the lowest place in your life 
the hardest season of your life, the, the difficult days, the, the thing you don't want to mention at dinner because it still strikes a nerve. It's still a pain point in your life. That was Ebenezer. What I want you to understand today is that it was important for them to remember that place. Listen, I don't want to live in my past, but how many of you know it's good sometimes to look back and remember what you've been through? It's good sometimes to look back and remember what God has brought you through. Israel needed to be reminded what it was like when they went out in their own strength. They needed to remember what it was like to just presume on the presence and the favor and the blessing of God. Like, they didn't even call on God. 1 Samuel chapter 2 says those men that carried the box had no regard for the Lord. They just, they just thought, you know what, let's just do the church thing. Let's just do the religious thing. Let's follow the ordinances. Let's get the box. Let's bring it out, and God will bless us. And can I just tell you on a Sunday morning in a church, that's not how it works. We still have ordinances in the church. We, we practice water baptism and we receive communion. But I want to tell you today, we could stuff your mouth full of wafers and we could dunk you in the water 110 times and it's not going to save you. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. When you open up your life and the presence, the manifest presence of the living God comes to dwell in your midst. That's what they were missing. They had all the outward actions. Their heart was far from God, and they needed to be reminded on this sacred and special day what it was like when they tried to do it in their own strength. In chapter 7, now they've defeated the Philistines. Now they're, they're turning back to God. There's a, a sense of spiritual revival and renewal in Israel. Samuel says, I'm calling this stone Ebenezer. What a bitter taste that must have put in their mouth. Ebenezer. And how could they not remember all the loss, all the sorrow, all the defeat? And yet God had a word for them. God was saying, even here at Ebenezer, the Lord has helped you. Some of you, just for a moment today, you need to go back to that pain point and you need to recognize he never left you. He never forsook you. He was always there. He's always faithful. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. And here's what will happen if you'll allow the Lord to minister to you in that way. The mountain of your defeat will become the pedestal for your testimony. That's what the Lord wants to do. The Bible says he works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. The Lord loves to take those things that the enemy meant for evil and turn them for good. He wants to take the, the hill of your defeat and make it a pedestal for your victory. This is the place of Ebenezer. It was a place of defeat, but it was also a place of sin because when they look back on, on what had happened on that hill, it wasn't just that they had a, 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 a defeat of another military, they recognized that it was the sin in their life that led to those consequences. Listen, the Philistines never would ha have overcome them. The Philistines would have never captured Israel if, if sin had not already captured Israel's heart. And as they stood in that place, they recognized that it reminds us how merciful God is. I don't know if that happens for you, but for me, it's every time we gather together. Every time we gather together and worship and we sing songs like we sang this morning, 
when I'm amazed by God's grace, I'm also keenly aware of how unworthy I am of it. That's why it's amazing. And that's what happened for Israel. The Ebenezer Stone said to them, it is by God's grace alone. I didn't get what I deserved. It's a place of defeat. It's a place of sin. It's also a place of sorrow. I mean, maybe it's been 20 years now since that first slaughter when they lost the ark of God. When you go back and read that account, one of the men ran from the battlefield and he came to the prophet Eli and he said, the army's been decimated. We lost another 30,000 soldiers today. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were both killed. Eli knew not only was that the tragic loss of his sons, but it was the confirmation of a prophetic word that God had said back in chapter two, that judgment is coming on your house. And the proof of it is that both your sons will die on the same day. And so Eli is receiving the, the report from war and he recognizes God's presence is lifting off of my life. And then he finds out the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that represents God's presence in your midst, it's been stolen. And the Bible says when he heard those three pieces of information, Information. Eli was an old, overweight man, and he fell backwards off of his stool, and he broke his neck, and he died. Shortly after that, chapter 4 says his daughter-in-law gave birth to a son, and prophetically she named him Ichabod, because Ichabod means the glory has departed. Samuel called this place. Ebenezer. See, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. I don't know if you knew that. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It acknowledges the fact sin is pleasurable. In other words, if sin wasn't fun, none of us would do it. But sin's pleasure is for a season, it says. And can I tell you, friends, seasons change. Seasons change. So when Samuel set this stone before the Lord and he called it Ebenezer, it reminded the people of their sorrow. It reminded them of the consequences of their sin. Now, the good news is God doesn't leave us there. The good news is God is a redeemer. He's a restorer. And so he sets up this stone in this place of pain and sorrow and defeat. And he makes a declaration thus far. The Lord has helped us. I want to tell somebody today, if you'll just allow the Lord to touch your heart, it doesn't matter what the place looks like, it doesn't matter what the defeat looks like or how long you've been bound in sin or, or how sorrowful your heart may be, if you will allow the presence of God to touch your life, one touch in his presence can change your circumstance from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Real quick. From the glory of God has departed to the favor of God is in our midst. Let me tell you about the purpose they were there. The place was significant, but why they were there is also important. It tells us clearly in this text that they came to worship. Make no mistake about it when you read this story. The victory did not come for Israel because of their tactics of war. The victory came because their tactics of worship. 
They all gathered together, it says, as, as Samuel had told them, look, if you're going to turn to God, you got to really turn to God. That means you got to turn away from some other things. And if you'll do that, the Lord will deliver you. And, and then down in verse 5, it says that Samuel's going to intercede for the people. He's going to stand in the gap and he's going to pray for them. And all the people called out and they confessed their sin to God. They said, we've failed God. We've sinned. It was in that atmosphere humility and repentance of sincerity before God that the presence of the Lord showed up he moved towards his people and then he moved on their behalf but it wasn't just the Lord's presence they got they also got the the presence of the Philistines they got their attention can I can I just tell you something your praise doesn't just get God's attention it gets the attention of your enemy he's bothered by your worship this morning I don't know how often you think about powers and principalities and spiritual things. I think a lot of us, we just get so just caught up in the day-to-day and in living our life and in all the things that we, that we can see. That's enough as it is to deal with. We forget that there is an unseen realm. The Bible says this about your worship. I love what it says in, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. It says, through the praise of children and infants... You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. Think about what that's saying. Even through children and infants, the Lord has ordained praise. And when they praise, and we saw it this last week, over 100 kids Sunday through Thursday, lifting up worship. They were singing the songs. They were doing the motions. They were declaring the faithfulness of God. But do you know what else they were doing? They were silencing the enemy. That's what he said happens when the Lord has ordained praise to establish a stronghold. There's a perimeter in this place that the enemy cannot penetrate because the children of God have lifted up their voice in praise. And the Bible says in chapter 7 there of 1 Samuel that, While they were worshiping God, verse 7 says, the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled and the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When Israel heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 9 says, then Samuel took a suckling lamb and he offered it up as a whole burnt offering. To the Lord. This is a beautiful picture of what worship is really all about. I mean, there's a, a 101 things happening around him, and the Bible says Samuel is focused on the Lamb. Can I tell you that that's what real worship looks like? It's not about what's happening in your life or in my life or what else is happening in the room. When we really lock in with the heart of God, all of our attention is on the Lamb. In fact, when we get a picture of what worship is going to be like in heaven, that's what we see. Revelation 5.12 says, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. There's two things that are happening here. There's the the lamb of God and the testimony of the church. Revelation 12.11 says that's how we overcome, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The the lamb represents the blood of Christ. The the Ebenezer stone represents the testimony of the people saying the Lord has been faithful. What I'm telling you today, church, is we need the blood and the stone. 
We need both. In Revelation, it says they were saying, the people, the redeemed were saying, worthy is the lamb. They were gathered to worship. This was their purpose, but they had a second purpose, and that was prayer. Verse 9 goes on to say, Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord heard him. You know, it's interesting when you look at the life of Samuel, his name actually means heard of the Lord. So even as a, as a little boy, every time his mother would call him, Samuel, 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 she was declaring, God hears you. God hears you. God hears you. The, the meaning of names is important in scripture. And so this is who he is from, from the earliest age. He was hearing this promise over and over again. God hears you. And then his mother brought him to the temple. She had dedicated him to the Lord all the days of his life to be raised in the house of God. And, and one night as a young boy, he's sleeping in his bed and, and he hears his name, Samuel. And he gets up and he runs into the room where the priest Eli is sleeping and he says, yes, sir. And Eli wakes up and he says, what? He says, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And three times that happened that night. Finally, the priest Eli realizes what's happening. And so when Samuel comes into his room the third time and says, you called me. I heard you said my name. He said, I didn't call you. But next time you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That night, Samuel heard the voice of God and, and he said, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And God began to download a prophetic word into his heart that night. Samuel understood two things. He understood God hears me. And he understood I can hear God. Friends, that's all prayer is. Prayer is recognizing that God hears me when I pray and I can hear God. I can hear what he wants to say in my situation. I can hear how he wants to lead and guide my life. And Samuel prayed this bold prayer. Even as the enemy was attacking, he lays the lamb on the altar. He prays this bold prayer in the face of an oncoming attack because he was convinced of this one truth. God hears me. And I can hear from God. If God's ever come through for you and answered your prayers, you ought to be a person that shows up on Sunday morning with a praise in your heart and declares thus far, the Lord has helped me. So far, so God. We tell you lastly that this place is important. The purpose they were there is important, but the proclamation itself, I think, is worth looking into. Thus far, the Lord has helped me. Let's start with the most important word, the Lord. It's about the Lord. Look at verse 10. It says, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines. And he threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. In other words, Israel was doomed for destruction until the Lord intervened. 
They weren't prepared for war. They were prepared for worship. That's why they came. Like we, we want a revival, not a battle. And yet God showed up and delivered them. And this memorial stone, this Ebenezer stone was a testimony of what the Lord had done, what the Lord had done. I'm so grateful that anyone would, would take the time to say kind words about me or my family this morning, but it would be such a, such a travesty if somebody were to look at this church and say, look what Aaron has done. No, look what the Lord has done. So far, so God. But Israel didn't just sit back either and say, well, God's gonna have to do it. If if it's gonna get done, God's gonna have to do it. No, look at another word in that statement. The word is helped. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. In other words, we're gonna pray like it depends on God, but we're gonna work like it depends on us. We're, We're gonna do our part. Verse 11 says, the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and they pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below Beth Car. In other words, it was God's lightning that flashed. It was his thunder that caused chaos in the Philistine camp, but it was the swords of Israel that defeated them. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. They didn't say Samuel helped us. They didn't say our swords helped us this day. They recognized this was by the power of God, but they did their part. It reminds me of the story in the New Testament when the disciples fished all night, they caught nothing. And then they hear a voice from the shore. Jesus says, why don't you throw your net over the other side of the boat? You know, if they would have done that and Peter would have reeled in like a 40 pound fish, just one massive fish, he probably would have been tempted to say like, ah, I got the only one tonight. I'm the best fisherman in the boat, right? I mean, he might've been tempted to say, look, can you believe that? Look what I did. But that's not what happened, is it? No, when Jesus said, throw your net over the other side, they still had to do the network. They still had to do the fishing and the hauling. But the Bible says there were so many fish, the nets began to break. The boat they were in began to sink. At least I don't know about you, but my prayer, my heart's desire is that when I look back on the story of my life, I want to be a part of a work that is so undeniably touched by the power and presence of God that nobody, nobody can argue it was the Lord that helped us. Oh, I'll put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I'll put in the time and the effort and the energy, but I don't want anyone to look back on the story of our lives and say, man, that was impressive what you guys pulled off. I want people to go, wow, that was so God. So God. The Lord helped them. The last thing I want you to consider is this little phrase, thus far. It's like a finger pointing back to your past. Have you had some wins? Have you had some victories? Have you had some high points in your life? You can look back and go, man, that was awesome. You're looking back and going, so far, so God.
I mean, look what the Lord did. Have you had some low moments, some days of defeat, sorrow, sin, some of those things that you'd just as soon rather forget? It's a finger pointing back and saying, thus far, the Lord has helped you. That even in the worst moments, like, I, I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but the Lord brought me through it. But it's not just a finger pointing back. Thus far is also a finger pointing forward. Thus far means it's not over yet. So far the Lord has helped us, but we're not finished yet. There's more mountains to climb. There's more battles to fight. I don't know about you, but I didn't come this far just to come this far. He didn't say, God has brought you this far. He said, God has brought you thus far. The one who's been faithful will be faithful. The best is yet to come. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. So far, so God. Come on, help me. So far, so God. I want to stand before you today and declare that in my life. And prophetically, I want to declare it in yours. You might be sitting there going, well, you don't know my story. I know where you're sitting right now. Some of you say, man, I wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for the grace of God. I certainly wouldn't be in a church this morning. Some of you would say, there's no way I'd be sitting next to them if not for the grace of God. So far, so God. I wanna pray for you as we get ready to end this service. My heart was stirred specifically with the thought that there might be some people today who, who would rather not go back to the place of pain. For you, the word's not Ebenezer, but if I said the word, you would recoil. This is the most tragic season of your life the saddest season of your life, maybe the most painful season of your life. Maybe the time when you felt defeated. I might not know that time, but you know it well. What I wanna say to you today is God does not bring us to that place to rub it in our face. Romans 8, one says, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He brings it back to show us he was faithful the whole time. He doesn't always do things the way we wished he would. He doesn't always show up when we'd like him to, but I wanna promise you, he's an on-time God. And you might not have been able to say it when you were in it, but you can sit here in this church this morning and you can look back knowing you're not where you used to be and you can say thus far. The Lord has helped me. And if you're in that place today, I wanna to promise you, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who will tell you the one who began a good work in you, he'll bring it to completion. He's faithful. You can trust him. I wanna ask you to bow your head with me all over this room. Father, today, I thank you that your presence is here in the testimony of your people. Our attention today is on the lamb. 
Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy to receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. And Lord, as we testify to who you are and how good you are and what you can do, I pray that right now, by the power of your spirit, you would just begin to go before your people in the way you did for Israel. You you confused their enemies. Lord, may our praise set up a stronghold today against the enemy's advances in our lives. God, I pray that you would, you would just refute every lie, every accusation from the pit of hell against your people today. God, may we stop listening to that voice of criticism and negativity and doubt and insecurity. Those, those voices that want to pull us back into yesterday's defeat. Lord, in the middle of that place, you declare the Lord is your help. And so, God, we raise up an Ebenezer stone today. We raise up a declaration of faith. We, we might not have the knickknacks or, or a collection of rocks or even T-shirts, but, Lord God, in our heart today, we raise up an artifact that declares the faithfulness of God in our lives. You can be trusted, Lord. And today, we just put our trust in you again. If you're here today and you need to do that, maybe for the first time, to say to the Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I recognize your faithfulness in the past and I trust you with my future. Can I encourage you right now, while your head's bowed before the Lord, just be honest with God. Tell him, tell him today, God, I I need you. I need you, God. Like Israel, they turned to God and they turned from sin. God, I repent today. And I'm turning to you with my whole life. I trust you, God, with all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. As we get ready to end this service, we're going to open these altars for a moment. Maybe the Lord's doing a work in your heart right now, and you just want to, you just want to lean into that and say, I, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing, but I sense, I sense a work He's doing in my life. Our prayer team is coming to the front, and we would love to just pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, it's just been, it's been a week. It's been, it's been a tough season. I'd love to have somebody pray for me. I want you to know these altars are open for any, uh, any need that you might have today. I want to encourage you before, before you leave, I want to just speak a blessing over you, but, but before you leave, find five people at least and have a conversation with them. Can I just tell you, you're in a good place today. It's good to be a part of God's family. So don't duck out too quick today. Let me speak a blessing over you and then we'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives. I pray that every person here in this service today in their heart would just raise up this this memorial stone moment of faith, a declaration, a conviction, a posture that says, thus far, the Lord has helped us. And because he has helped us, I know he will help us. We're not going to go through this life, Lord, with a blind optimism that says, so far, so good. We're going to go into this life, Lord, with an exuberant faith, a confident joy that says, so far, so God. 
thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord today. Amen.